Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sons of Sequoia podcast. Today is Monday, May 17th, 2021, and we are broadcasting live from Wheat Ridge, Colorado, home of the champions. How are you this morning? I'm doing fine. I'm ready for this one. This is going to be a fun one. Yes. Uh, I really I really enjoyed it. How are you doing this morning, David? I am doing very well. I woke up early. Okay. I was feeling optimistic about the week ahead, and I'm excited that this is going to be a good week where a lot of the things that we want to accomplish get accomplished. Correct. I uh, agree. Including this podcast, which is, of course, as you may have seen in the thumbnail, a Movie Monday podcast about the documentary Game Master, which is currently available to watch on Amazon Prime. Yeah, it's a very, very interesting... Would you call it a documentary? I, I, I guess you would. It's a documentary, and I would say it's very pure documentary, insofar as I feel like the, the filmmakers probably had a passion for tabletop games, and they could make documentary films. They went in and they explored the industry through the eyes of four independent game makers, and, of course, they were able to secure interviews with other game makers who are very established within the industry. And yet, they didn't fabricate a narrative arc. Right. So, so what you saw was, a, I think, a, a true documentary insofar as they weren't making stuff up. It was just, this is what happened. And it's not really a beginning, middle, and end, first act, second act, third act story. It's just what we filmed. It's what we filmed over the course of several months. Yeah, it wasn't, to me, it wasn't a typical documentary, but I got into it because it, it was very impressive uh, on a number of levels uh, what these people who create games create. We're talking about tabletop games, uh, creating creating these games. They, they think these things up and from their experience, from their lives, from their imagination, and they create games and they love it. They have a passion for it. And it's it was very, very interesting. Mm-hmm. At first, at first, I thought, okay, yeah, fine. You know, like uh, all the different games that they were doing, they didn't seem that that interesting. But then more they talked about it, and I saw their passion. But I saw, I started thinking about it deeper. I, it is pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. it, it was pretty. It was kind of slow at the beginning, but then it got really interesting for me at the, at the end. Yes, you definitely where, slept uh, through part of it, right? Full disclosure. Yeah, yeah I did. I did. It was it was relaxing. It was. It but was, then when I, I like documentaries like that. When I admitted that I slept through part of my octopus teacher, that's not a knock on the documentary. the The footage was cool. The music was cool, and I fell asleep. I watched all of this one, but I don't think that sleeping through part of a documentary means that it's necessarily bad. <laughs> well, a good documentary means that uh, it's like a baseball game. At the beginning, you can see what it's about. You can sleep in the middle, wake up at the end and see what the ending is, and uh, you you walk away with an appreciation for what the purpose of that documentary was all about. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like a baseball game. The first three innings, you you eat all the food you brought. The next three innings, you go to sleep. The last three innings, you wake up to see you won. Exactly. That's why baseball is the best sport. It's the American pastime. So before we continue, should I play the trailer? Yeah, sure. Uh, the trailer is yeah. always good. Sometimes the trailer gets us blocked on YouTube, but let's hope that Gravitas Ventures, the funders behind uh, this movie, 
don't block us for showing the trailer and talking about their movie and saying you all should go watch it for an hour. Hopefully that's not beyond the pale for them, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So let's pull up our selves real quick. And are you ready? Yep. There has never been a better time to go make a game. The first time you get to hold something you make in your hands, that's the best feeling. These are uh, Scott's book of great ideas. I think I'm up to about 30 now. We're in the middle of a tabletop renaissance. It's a $3 billion industry and every year it grows. My dad was always inspired by stories and that gave birth to the to the game. When I realized that I can live from Catan and my family can live from Catan, it was um, yeah, freedom for me. There's conventions and awards and now independent designers can get into the action without game publishers because of the invention of things like crowdfunding. And I looked at that whole ecosystem and I thought, oh man, I want to play too. Originally our goal on Kickstarter was, okay, let's try to raise $10,000 That'll be our goal. We hit that in seven minutes. The worst thing you can do as a game designer is fall in love with one of your designs which do not work. I'm put in the unenviable position of people coming to me and saying, this is my grandchild. And I say, well, let me tell you about your grandchild. I would say we went through hundreds of versions of Exploding Kittens. And every time we test it out and find another three things that we messed up. You know, I'm like a 14, 15-year-old kid playing D&D with like some 50-year-old lady. Really colorful characters of all sexes, all backgrounds, all nationalities. There was always the expectation that as a young Pakistani girl, I would get married by the time I'm 20. That's why I'm always trying to create work that can make the world a better place. If it hadn't been board games, I'd been around the streets with a lot of other knuckleheads. You actually have to get as much creative output as you can out there. 99% of them are going to suck, but there's always little nuggets that you learn from until something good comes out. I'm hoping that with this game, someone else will be inspired to be like, I can break free too. The main thing that I want is to be in this industry. If the world doesn't play games, then we don't need any game designers anymore, and the world would be certainly a much sadder place. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. So there we go. There's the trailer. And I think you can tell from the trailer that it's very sort of calm movie. It doesn't challenge you too much. It doesn't make you feel bad. It's... It's nice. It's it's a good watch, you know? It really is, yeah. And the more you think of it, that, like you said, those games, it's creativity. It's thinking up a game that doesn't work. Uh, but then do you walk away from it? No. You, you keep modifying it, keep improving it, and it becomes your baby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't fall in love with it, but you keep you keep improving it. And uh, who, who can play it? Who can play a board game? This is one thing that, that I that I start becoming impressed with. Who who can play a board game? Anybody, anybody, can. yes, everybody can. It so who's their market? It's every household in the world. Mm-hmm. So when you think of that, try to try to create something that every household in the world will have fun at. And uh, we played the other night. We played a 
uh, table game uh, Trouble. That trouble. was great. When Trouble is really the good. simplest game you can possibly imagine, you know. And I, I thought of that, David. I thought, why was that so much fun? It wasn't the game. It was the game brought us together, and we were laughing at each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> the game itself is, in some respect, irrelevant. Now, some of these games are extraordinarily complicated. And I think that that goes in the other way. It's like if you love games, the trouble, we played two games of trouble. Each one lasted 20 minutes. It was so fun. I mean, we played an hour total between the two games. It was great. It was a great evening. It was a great (laughs) evening in. Now, they were talking about in this, there's four people. It says five, but I just remember four. I remember the guy that did ray guns and rocket ships. He was like the nerdy guy. And then they had the young kid that was trying to be an entrepreneur in the industry, and he made trekking the national parks, and he started a company with his parents. And they self-published. And so there's two ways to go. You can try to secure a publisher and have them print all the games and do the manufacturing, and you get a royalty. Or you can try to form your own company and self-publish. Self-publish, of course, you take all the risks, but you get all the rewards if it pans out. Um, Then they had the young Pakistani girl... Uh, lady, I suppose, a woman, she was an adult, uh, who she didn't like the concept of arranged marriages, so she made a board game about arranged marriages. And they had the Mexican dude that had a game called Thug Life, where you basically played the street life, you did crimes, you tried to stay away from the cops on a board game, and he thought, you know, when I was a kid, I played Dungeons and Dragons, it kept me off the street. If I make this board game, maybe kids will play, try to do the Thug Life while they're tabletop gaming instead of out there in the actual streets. That was his idea. And so all four of them had uh, sort of these interesting ideas. We did look on Amazon afterward, and only two of the four are available on Amazon. There's Ray Guns and Rocket Chips and Trekking the National Park. So let me just pull those up just so everyone can see them, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Just because... So you had, you had, was it Kingpin? Was there another one? King? Uh... Oh, King Domino, but that was the one that won the awards. Okay. Okay, so here we go. Here's uh, Amazon, and here the top two, when I search ray guns and rocket ships, are from the documentary. There it is. And, and they're checking the, yep. And if you can see, they're involved, like they're expensive games. Like, you know, Trouble at your local Target would be $9.99 because there's not too many pieces, there's just the pop of Matic bubble. These are 50 bucks because there's pieces it's more more involved and it's a game that takes hours to play. I kind of want to buy them, don't you? <laughs> I kind of do. Yeah. And actually to me trekking the national parks I think that's very very cool cuz you can learn about your national parks. Yes, let's take a look at this one. Um Do you know what the national parks are? Where well, you going to learn it? Let's see here. Here we go. So you see here Carlsbad. Oh, wait. Let me kill ourselves in the view. So there's Rocky Mountain National Park. There's Mesa Verde. Big Bend, Carlsbad, Petrified Forest. Um, Here's a larger view of the board. Pinnacles, Denali, Yosemite. And so, yeah, you will learn what states all these parks are in. Mm-hmm. The Grand Tetons, Cave of the Winds, Wind Cave, Carlsbad Caverns. Here's the here's an overview of the whole map. Yeah. 
Well, you know, it just it, it says another thing too about uh, about the United States. There is so much diversity from East Coast to West Coast, from the Atlantic to the Pacific, and that little strip of land right there. That there's so much diversity and and beauty and all different kinds of things in this country. Mm-hmm. It, it's just it's just uh, it's remarkable how how what a what a beautiful country we live in. And so, then you go to Hawaii, and then you go up to Alaska. Yeah, so if you notice here, not only are there these beads and these cutout, but there's all these cards. You know, Pop-O-Matic trouble. It's just a Pop-O-Matic bubble. <laughs> uh-huh. And your four game pieces, depending on how many players there are. Um, this, there's be oh, there's little men, little carved out men that are trekking. Uh-huh. So this is more involved, you know? But I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It's just it's uh, a different way, different way to go. Yes. Well, the thing about the thing about trouble is that I think in that trailer they were saying that uh, I found myself playing with uh, some old lady in their nineties, and but trouble way back when uh, Laura, when she was just a little kid, played with her grandmother who were in nineties, mm-hmm. and they and they just had a fabulous time. Yeah. So old and young, wherever you are in the world, the simpler the game, uh, the fun you have is with each other. Yes. and it can it can it can uh, uh, bridge bridge uh, uh, generations too. Mm-hmm. So, so you- if you want to get to know someone, that's the other thing too. I remember when I was in since we're we're talking about this, David. I remember when I was in high school and I was younger. Uh, if you really wanted to get to know someone. And you didn't know them, and you're kind of shy. The best way to get to know someone is play a game with them, play play baseball or play football or tag touch football or something. And and uh, groups of groups of uh, uh, kids get together when they start playing with each other. They got to know each other because mm-hmm. you had a common commonality of of scoring or winning or or whatever. And it's the same with board games. Families they get together to play board games. We, we just we just laughed and. You're going to get to know one another. Yeah. Uh, better, a little better. And you'll get to see some people are just a little too competitive, you know? Win, <laughs> winning right. mean Winning means more to them than just about anything. Or they're poor sports. And it's like, oh, I learned something about you. You have, you're so competitive that your priorities may be out of whack. Um, it's true. So I do want to say in the movie, there was a section where I started scrolling my phone. You were asleep through this part. But it was this big section in the middle, probably 20 minutes in an hour and a half movie, where they talked about diversity and inclusion in the board gaming industry. And that's, I suppose it's fine, but it seemed a bit tacked on. I said, oh, we're trying to, you know, be more inclusive, to include people of color, to include women. And I'm like, that's fine, but it didn't really have anything to do with the narrative, like, of the big game guys. So uh, if we go back to our Amazon, I searched rocket ships and ray guns board game. And the two from uh, the two of the small creators, they come up tracking the national parks and rocket ships and ray guns. Uh, and then if you scroll down, you have Catan and they had Klaus Tuber. Let's see if we could see this here. Klaus Tuber. They interviewed him and his two sons and they run the Catan empire. And Catan is a huge, hugely popular board game. But if we go back to this Amazon, sorry, real quick. Um, So I sort of glossed over the diversity inclusion part because it was like, this doesn't seem relevant. But if we come to the 
here and now, and we take a look at what games from that documentary are available on Amazon, it's the two games that were designed by the white guys. And the game that's designed by the Pakistani lady and the game that was designed by the Mexican dude, you can't find those on Amazon. So Mm. what does that tell you? Yeah, maybe there is something to it. But I'll get back to my I I they didn't say this in this in this documentary, but I'll say it. Uh, maybe the way to bridge uh, uh, diversity, equality, equity, and and inclusion is to have all different people sit down on a on a board game trouble, and have four people from different places yeah uh, play trouble together. You know. <laughs> And that would be so much fun, you know? Get a Israeli radical, an Israeli moderate, <laughs> like, you know, someone from IDL, someone from Hamas, and then two, an Israeli and Palestinian moderates. And they all sit around and they play a game of trouble and see what happens. Well, do you remember when Ali G interviewed the Israeli guy and the Palestinian guy? Mm. Oh. Ali, Ali G is Sasha Baron Cohen. It was one of his early yeah, characters. Oh, oh, yeah, I remember. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm with you now. Yeah. And so his first question was, so you guys like Hamas, right? And it's like, well, Hamas is one of our organizations. And it's like, and you guys like Hamas too. And he points at the Israeli guys like, no, no, Hamas, we consider them a terrorist group. He's like, no, no. You know, you, you take a pita bread and you dip it in Hamas. Like, oh, hummus, hummus. Yeah, we like hummus. And he asked the panel, so do you like hummus too? And he's like, yeah, we like hummus. Well, you're agreeing on that. Let's start there. <laughs> they both like hummus. Yeah. And I think it's like, well, that's true. There is something you agree on. You both like hummus. Well, yeah, that that's pretty on the drastic side. But I, I want to <laughs> put on the table, I want to put on the table in the United States, uh, let's take uh, some uh, white guy who's never been around a black guy. Take a black guy who's never been around a white guy, and face and, and they don't know each other. They don't know the other culture, and face them next to each other, play a game of trouble or play a board game that's just fun, and all of a sudden they begin to realize we have more in common than we thought. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we both want to win. Yeah. Oh, no, don't do that. Yeah, do that. And after a while, uh, they begin to realize we're more alike than we are different. Yeah. Uh, and and then find two other people at the same time. I, that That's kind of what I was getting at uh, within the United States, uh, with within any culture. In any culture, culture you're going to have different uh, uh, differences. And those differences sometimes are valuable. They shouldn't be negative. Well, and I think that that was, I mean, the one thing, the reason why I started scrolling my phone is because it didn't really seem to me like that's what the documentary was about. What it seemed to me like it was about was these people that are passionate about gaming. Um, So if those people happen to be majority white, that's just how the demographics slice out. But um, the rocket ship is the ray guns guy. He was uh, a nice guy. Seemed like a totally nice guy. A, a strange guy. Not the most normal person you'd ever see. But you could tell that he <laughs> loved uh, gaming. 
And when they, the, they, this publisher was like, yeah, rocket ships and ray guns is one of the best prototypes that we've ever seen. When someone brings you a prototype, a lot of times it's unfinished. This guy had clearly put a lot of time into it. And if we look at rocket ships and ray guns here on Amazon, this, it, this jumps off the screen. His artwork, you know? Uh, and it is, I mean, it's cool. It's cool looking. Like, it's got shelf appeal. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. that was a big thing for him. And it was awesome at the end. He got his game published. It got into stores. He went to his local tabletop gaming store, and everyone knew him there, obviously. But he goes to the back, and he sees his game on the shelf, and he was so proud, and he pulls out his phone, and he takes a picture of it, and it was just kind of cool. And they were saying a lot of people, they make these games for the love of tabletop gaming. Uh, there's very few people that make a living off of it. And then they interviewed some of the few that did make a living off of it, like Klaus Tuber and the guy with the bow tie that was multicolored in the trailer. I forget his name. Um, and so when they were talking to the family, the Bink family, for trekking the national parks, oops, wrong click, uh, it was a family that tried to self-publish this game. And the son, he was sort of upset because he's like, I'm not making enough money to live, you know? And we're busting our butts with this game. But then he sort of started manufacturing it in China instead of in the USA, which made the unit cost cheaper and made their margin a bit larger. And then he teamed with a partner who got the game listed on Amazon, and so they were able to use Amazon as a distribution outlet, and so they weren't doing all the, not come to our website, buy it, and we'll ship it to you. And he was saying that was tough because someone would buy the game for 50 bucks, and I'd say, okay, well, to ship it to you in Europe, the shipping will be 60 bucks. And they said, you're trying to rob me. And it's like, no, that's what it costs to ship this game to Europe. You know, it's, it's expensive. So I think they understood yeah, Amazon's going to take a cut when you let them be your fulfillment agency, but they're much better at fulfilling goods than you are at your trekkingthenationalparks.com. And so now it seems like his business is taking off and the game is clicking, and I kind of want to lay down 50 bucks and buy it. <laughs> we'll learn about the national parks. Well, but I thought that was an interesting look into an industry because it, it is... Um, they had some larger manufacturers. Yeah, I think you might have missed this part, the supply chain guy. And he's like, oh, this is a game that we sell. And he's like, um, he pulls out all the pieces. And he's like, there's 18 different vendors. The box is one vendor. The actual board is one vendor. The miniatures are one vendor. The wooden pieces are one vendor. The dice is a different vendor. And it's like, so we have to order from 18 different vendors and have it all come in, you know, synchronously so that we can get it out to market for the Christmas season, which is when you sell the most board games. So I thought that sort of glimpse into the business, that was fascinating to me. And, and then talking to Klaus Tuber about how he was a game designer and he'd won. But then when Catan took off, it's like, oh, I can make a living out of this. This is a little cottage industry was to set up my family. And I think that the lesson there is you have to design one of the biggest games ever <laughs> to really have an empire. I mean, if you have a minor hit, I don't know if you're going to live off that forever. Yeah, that, 
it's kind of like you're only you only be remembered for a very short time for the last thing you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you might sell it, but it's it be the market is huge. But because the market is huge, there's a lot to pick from. Yes, and 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 uh, and everyone doesn't play board games all the time. No. But I also think it doesn't. You don't have to have the most complicated game. You could just have one game. If you and your family like playing Monopoly, you don't really need any other games. Um, or, or you just buy a deck of cards and just play Rummy or something. Yeah. Because a lot of times it's just the family interaction is what's fun, mm-hmm. or your friends, the people. Yeah, or your the friends. Table. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I enjoyed the movie a lot. I think that we could probably make this a relatively short episode, don't you think? Yeah, because uh, I, I think there's not a whole lot to say. Well, we could probably go on tangents, but uh, I think uh, what we have to say about uh, the gaming, uh, tabletop gaming industry <clears throat> is important and just uh, say it and then we're done. And that's what I liked about the documentary. They said it and they covered a lot of ground. I guess there's two other things I'd like to cover. The first are the conventions in America and Europe, the giant board gaming conventions. Did you see that part? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they have <laughs> a, a 150,000 people come to play board games. That was fascinating. And then the second thing, and I think this is fascinating, is the awards. And they said there's two awards that really matter. And if you look, tracking one, the Mensa Award. So the American Mensa, the... Smart People Foundation, they uh, their award, and then the big award is the Spiel des Jahres, which is the European Game of the Year. And it is interesting because you're like, well, there's so many games out there. If these group of Europeans who love gaming have certified this as the game of the year, that seems like a safe one to buy. You know what I mean? And it's it's kind mm-hmm. of like a vetting. It's sort of like how we chose the Oscar-nominated documentaries to watch. Because it's like, well, it's been vetted by the Academy. And this was, of course, not nominated. And I enjoyed it just as much. It's just it doesn't tell a story. It doesn't tug at the heartstrings. But I kind of enjoy that because I know for a fact these people did just as much work. They traveled all over the globe. They got all of these interviews. They met all these people. They let these people tell their stories. Their stories exist now forever. Their games have more uh, attention upon them because this movie was made. And that's all a great thing. So this made this documentary, Game Master, may not have been nominated for an Academy Award because it doesn't have this gripping story like the like Crip Camp or the Mole Agent does. But that doesn't mean that it's a bad movie at all. I think that it's a it's a really good movie, and it seems more like a pure documentary because they sort of went and they documented what this industry is about and then they showed it to you and it may not follow a three-act narrative structure. I've already said this once in the podcast, but I enjoyed it. It was informational and educational. Well, I think also the value is beyond the storytelling, uh, beyond the cinematography or the production or the the pictures or anything, but they, they, like you say, they did the work. But I think the value in it is looking at the passion of these people, that you're tapping into these people who love what they do. They don't love it and they don't do it to get rich because they're not. Uh, And it may fail. And if they fail, then they modify it, improve it and try it again. Mm -hmm. And so that alone is a message that when you find something 
that you love to do. And if you do it and it fails and it's not successful and you keep trying to make it better and you keep better and you never stop, then you're going to have a happy life. Yeah. <laughs> and so you don't look at the failure. You look at what you're doing because you're doing something you love. And mm -hmm. these people who make these games, I go, I couldn't do what they do. But I really have a lot of respect for the people who, who try to make these games. And, and they keep doing What One guy said he had, I don't know how many different, different games he had thought up. Oh, and yeah. That was the guy with the bow tie. And he said the worst thing you could do is fall in love with your own idea. So with I'm sure an that, idea that doesn't work. Yeah. yeah, so I'm sure that he's abandoned as many ideas as he's published. That's right. And so so you think, oh, wow, that's sad. No, that's to me, that's that's beautiful because he just loves making games. Mm -hmm. and, and then the, the Exploding Kitties guy, and I guess we could talk about that a little bit. They did crowdfunding, Kickstarter. Right. Um, but the Exploding Kitties guy, he said in the trailer, you got to keep that creative output up. Because 99% of what you do, no one's going to care about. But if you stop doing it, you're not going to hit on that 1% that explodes, that, you know, shoots to the moon. So if you if this is what you want to do, you have to keep doing it because it's not going to hit until it does. But even if it does hit, does that mean you stop or do you keep going? Yeah. I think you keep going. And sometimes that 1% that hits... The only reason you're trying to hit is so you can keep going for the other 99%. Mm -hmm. So it's not about the success. It's about uh, it's not about the destination. It's a journey. Yeah. They, they just love what they do. They love what you So which is a good lesson, man, whether it's gaming or whatever it is, make sure you do something you love to do uh, because you can keep doing it whether you're successful or or not. Mm -hmm. and, you're gonna... and the reward for good work is more work. And if, if that's the work you love to do, then that reward for good work is more work and doing what you love. Yeah. And a lifetime of, of loving what you do. Yeah. So, that, so if the reward for good work is more work, you better love what you do. Because if you're good at it, you're going to have to do it more. And if you do more of what you love to do. It is a reward. That's a reward. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very well said. That yeah. Good. That's sort of the way it works, right? Yeah. So that's what I really liked about this uh, documentary about uh, the gaming and the tabletop games. That, and also, they have a passion for it. I don't have the passion they have, but I can benefit from it because we can buy their game and put it on our kitchen table. And what they did, their creativity can be on our kitchen table. And we can sit there and play it, right, David? Mm -hmm. they and we can share in their and their enjoyment and passion. Maybe not at the same level, but we're still we're still sharing in, in their enjoyment. And we may, I mean, if we have bought uh, Trekking, and it's like, this is too confusing. Let's just go back to playing Trouble. That's okay. At least we supported their business. But it's not every game is for everyone. That's right. Uh, sometimes, you know, I know people that don't like card games. And you say, oh, let's play some card games. I say, no, I don't. Card games are stupid. I love card games. Um and that's just different strokes for different folks, right? That's right. When I was little, I loved chess. And then, then I moved away from it. I wish I hadn't. I wish I'd learned chess more. Chess is a great game. 
even checkers some some people just love checkers and mm-hmm. uh so a lot of gaming a lot of the games is not the game itself it's the it's your opponent mm-hmm. it's just understanding your opponent and and sometimes in business the best the best preparation for business is just learning how to play poker yeah you know because of poker a lot of it you have the you have the probability and you have the hands and you have the the definitions of different things but also it's reading the other people especially when you're betting mm-hmm. betting your chips anyway so gaming there's a lot there's a lot to gaming and uh, if you think about it um the board games here is almost like um uh it sets humans apart from other animals <laughs> yeah because we can just totally enjoy a board game with our family, but we're about the only animal who does that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so there are some primates that that enjoy certain types of physical games, you know, like throwing things. Uh, but a board game, it's an intellectual. A lot of it's intellectual. Mm-hmm. So using using all our faculties uh, for enjoyment. So, so they're trying to tap into that. Yep. Well, I think we basically covered it. I guess we could talk a little bit about the Kickstarter, about how a lot of these people were getting their initial funding on Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's sort of a different, a different uh, discussion altogether. That those that the beginning of the movie, and it was because Exploding Kittens raised whatever ten million dollars on Kickstarter, and then they became a a big game. So they wanted to raise 10,000. I think they ended up raising 8 million or something. And it's like, well, we wanted to do a production run of 500. I'm like, why don't we do a production run of 500,000? <laughs> and, you know, they sent, uh, it was basically like, if you give us 20 bucks, we'll send you this deck of cards. That's the card game. Well, if we get 10,000 people, we can send out 500. Well, they got 8 million. It's like, well, let's Send them all out to the people that bought them. They had, you know, margin built into the Kickstarter. And so it was really just a business through Kickstarter. Um, and then, of course, because of the no- the initial notoriety, then they took it off of Kickstarter and sort of started selling it in stores and going to conventions and stuff. So Kickstarter allowed them to sort of circumvent the publishers and sort of self-publish because they had all the money for production themselves up front. And that's fascinating. It's a fascinating new model. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. I saw I saw one guy. He was he was a ga- award winning game designer, and he was at the big conference. And he said something that sort of resonated with me. He said, "Yeah, Kickstarter, self publishing, it's sort of like music. You don't need a record label. You don't need a studio. You can make industry standard music in your basement with you know consumer grade electronics these days because audio is just. And that's the same with gaming. You know, you can sort of." make 100 500 board games that are just as professional as what any publisher can make you can contract it out these days there's someone that's willing to do it for you and uh publish it yourself and you can get the funding to do that through kickstarter it sort of democratizes the game design and manufacture industry it just opens the door to creativity and innovation because the the roadblocks that have been there previously are no longer there that being some of these great ideas uh, there's going to be more ideas. A lot of them are going to fail, but there's going to be some good ones come out that would never come out if they didn't have the ability to come out. Mm-hmm. 
So I, so I think I think uh, same with music. Yeah, people can make make their own music in their basement. Yeah, and so much of music is a uh, passion project for people. You know, it's it is it's difficult to become wealthy, but if you love it, you might find hundreds, thousands of people out there that sort of hear what you're saying and say, wow, I really identify with that. And it really helped me, you know, or, or I really enjoy listening to that when I'm cleaning my house, or I really love putting this on in the background and falling to sleep. Whatever reason someone, so there's reasons someone might listen to your music, sort of like there's reasons like someone might play your game. You might play trouble when you're just trying to sit around having fun. You might play trekking the national parks when you're trying to learn and have an evening together with your family that's sort of educational and fun. Um, it's just like you might listen to music when you're trying to go to sleep, or you might listen to music when you're trying to understand the lyrics and learn something about, you know, a, a subculture like like rap music or, or Bob Dylan or something. You're trying to learn about the '60s. You can learn it from Bob Dylan, perhaps more than you can learn it from a book. And so there's different different musics for different situations. There's different board games for different situations, and and it really becomes like an art. But the fascinating thing, especially with board games, is and video games, I think, to a very similar extent, is that the person that designs it, the person that creates it, the person that develops the rules and imagines the gameplay, they'll never see you uh, playing the game and enjoying it and having fun. And they just kind of hope that that happens hundreds of thousands of times. You know, if they sell 5,000 games for 50 bucks a piece, that's what, 2.5 million? Oh, well, they yeah, make, but but like they'll never see those five thousand people playing. Some people will buy that game for fifty bucks and never play it. Some families will play it over and over and over again and love it, and they'll never know. So, knowing that's true, do you still do it? Yes, of course they do. You don't do but it for the sale, and you don't, you don't do, do it for, the sale. for someone applauding you. That's the interesting thing about music too. Um, musicians used to. Recording used to be super expensive. If you were a musician, your career was going to a place, playing music live, and immediately having people applaud you when you finished your song, every composition. Nowadays, music is creating music in a computer, putting it on the internet, and yeah, you get fake internet points, you get views, you get downloads, but you don't see anyone enjoying it. You don't see anyone's face light up, you don't see anyone applaud. Um, and that was sort of the metric back in the day if you were a famous jazz musician. You'd do your solo and you'd see everyone sort of delighted by your sort of athletic virtuosity. And you don't see that's the same with, I think, making a board game. You don't get to see people play it. You don't get to see people loving it and having a good time. You just trust that they do. And I think that trust is you trust that they do because you love board games, right? That's the whole reason you make board games in the first place. It's it's fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's it's uh, it's almost like an analogy for for everything you do in life. Yeah, and, uh, and actually, there's a board game called Life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, the, the this this documentary turned out to be at first it was kind of uh, not boring, but not that interesting, not that glamorous, not that exciting, and and you know. Uh, fire, fireworks going off and bombshells, but but after you got into it, you begin to realize, wait a minute, there's some deeper things here. Mm-hmm. There's some pretty pretty cool, uh, respectful. Uh, I appreciate it after yep. I woke up. 
Yeah. And you know what? <laughs> if a movie puts you to sleep, that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's like if music that's... puts you to sleep, that's not necessarily, that doesn't mean the music's bad. No, it's not. It's not at all. Well, I think this has been a lively discussion. Uh, I mean, we could make it a briefer episode because I think we covered the movie pretty well. Uh, we're done. And I would recommend the movie. I've seen the movie. And it's on Amazon Prime right now. It's available with your Prime membership if you have one. I will leave an affiliate link in the description uh, to a Prime membership. That will help out the show if you'd like to watch the movie and get an Amazon Prime subscription, which I would recommend for anyone. I believe out of all the services, getting free shipping from Amazon is perhaps... Not only do you get access to Prime's video library, but the free shipping from Amazon, it pays for itself within a year. So I'll leave an affiliate link to a Prime membership down in the description below. It will help out the show if you'd like to click on it. But I think that we're just about done. Does that sound good to you? Sounds good to me. All right, I'll play the concluding music and I'll let you wrap up the episode. Okay, since it's a Koya podcast that uh, we're here uh, weekdays at 9 a.m., usually every day, unless we're doing something else. But what we want to leave you with is uh, keep on talking. But listen more than you talk and try to understand what the other person is saying. Bye. Bye.